Wall Street is full of corruption and it is baked in to every aspect of our society. MMT is a lens by which you assess all economic understanding at the macro level. In the 1900s, Lenin was predicting global finance capital would do all the things it's doing today. This was written over a hundred years ago. This is The Rogue Scholar with Steve Grumbine. All right, everybody, it is Steve, and this is The Rogue Scholar. And I've got my good friend Sam of Reset Race joining me today for this lunch break hour, half hour, whatever it turns out to be. I am very, very excited because, folks, there's a lot of panels that go on out there, a lot of people talking about reparations, and and there's some real hardcore research that has been done. We're not talking about just, I, I have an idea off the top of my head. We're talking about down to the penny. We're talking about years of research from people like Sandy Darity and Kirsten Mullen, who we've had on our Macro and Cheese podcast. And Sam has been kind enough to have me on their show, listening to Understanding Modern Monetary Theory. And we've developed quite a friendship. And, and this, this podcast, this show here, is going to bring some of that out, I hope. But without further ado, Sam from Reset Race, welcome to the Rogue Scholar. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. You know, I've been wanting to talk to you again for a while, so I'm glad that we made this happen. Absolutely. Well, as you know, I care very much about this subject. And, you know, there's a lot of misunderstandings about reparations that are out there. And there's a lot of competing ideas of which most of them come off as half-baked or Mm -hmm. dilution to the real reparations. And, And defining what reparations means is as elusive for many people as as any number of like physics or you know astrophysics mm-hmm. or whatever rocket science they can't quite put their finger on it but i want to ask you from your perspective what does reparations mean and what does it entail ooh so the meaning i guess you could just go back to the textbook definition it's about repairing right repairing the harm that's been done So what reparations would look like for me is more than just money, even though money is a big part of it. I would like to see a nice, good, earnest check come up front, but also we need, we need, um, we need the things that need to be taken care of in the community. So not only money, but we also need uh, investment for businesses, not loans. We'd like grants. We don't want to have to pay back anything that you owe us. You know, the school systems need to be fixed. But some of the stuff, for me, some of the things that we would need in a reparations plan fall into things that you should just give Americans. That's why for me, reparations is I would like money, land, and protections for us as a people so we can make sure that we don't continue having the same, um, basically, I hate for a lack of better um, word, but the same acts of genocide continue to be portrayed on us through more generations. So that's what I think of when I think of reparations. I know for some people, they have more things where they start to talk about, you know, fixing schools and college education. Because I know a lot of people like, oh, we should give them free college. I don't think I should get free college for reparations as a Black American. I think all Americans should get free college because we live in a country that's supposed to be the richest country in the world. And with climate change and everything else coming, we should be training our people to be the best and the brightest in the world so they can save us, especially because it's going to be our children. 
Like I'm almost 40. I'm not training to save the world. <laughs> so you know, it's interesting you say that. This is <laughs> no, you nailed something very important to me right there. And that is that everybody should get certain things. This is, you mm -hmm. know, reparations is not saying we shouldn't give people these other things. That there's oftentimes a com like a combativeness between people that don't understand in this. What you're saying distinctly is there's a unique claim for reparation mm -hmm. for African Americans, in particular, um, you know, descendants of slaves, African descendants of slaves, or and and this right here to me is one of the, or is it Americans of descendants of slaves? American descendants of slavery. Up. Yeah, it's American. Thank you. Okay, we've we've been so out of Africa that, for a very long time. <laughs> <laughs> well, I know, but the, there's a specific claim though being yeah. made though. I think, and that's mm -hmm. why that kind of gets messed up. But I agree with you. What exactly is it that differentiates the Addo's perspective of reparations with other folks? Uh, you frequently well, hear so, about the groups fighting for the diaspora, et cetera. Go ahead. So this is the thing. First of all, many groups in the diaspora actually have their own claims going right now anyways. Like the people from the Caribbean, they have CARICOM. They are literally suing the countries that enslaved them. Black Americans who descend from chattel slavery are not included, nor should we be, but I support them because they are owed a debt. So this is the thing, you have to sue the country that harmed you the same way all of us have insurance, right? If you own a house, you have house insurance. If you have a car, you have car insurance. If your house gets set on fire and you have mercury, and then your neighbor's house sets on fire five, 10, 20 years later, and they have State Farm, you guys don't make a joint claim together. Like, it's very simple. Black Americans who descend from chattel slavery were harmed by the U.S. American government. The U.S. American government allowed these things to happen to us in this country. That's who we're suing. You can't come here in the 80s or 90s after Jim Crow, after redlining, after, white, after the majority of white racial terrorism and say, hey, we're all the same and we're owed the same things. That's not fair to other minority groups, as in my Mexican neighbors who got here in the 70s and have experienced discrimination and have experienced certain things, but they're still not the same because they don't descend from chattel slavery. Understood. So mm -hmm. with that in mind, when I talk about modern monetary theory, right, mm -hmm. MMT, it describes the federal government as the currency issuer. And it, describes the state governments and local governments as currency users. In other words, mm -hmm. they're waiting for the federal government as well. They don't get to create money out of thin air like the Fed does. With that in mind, you see a lot of groups out there trying to pop up different reparation schemes at the local level, state level. And it's the same with Medicare for all, sadly. We have a lot of people out there that genuinely don't understand the economics of it all and and they get very offended when you explain it to them however in this case it's particularly pernicious it's particularly uh wrong-minded because it really does water down the reparations efforts talk to me a little bit about why it has to be all as opposed to little pockets here and there well you just explained it does your state and local government does not have enough money in their budget to do a real reparations program like, that's just the basics of it. Like with Evanston, Illinois, I think it was only going to be like 16 families and they were going to give them either, was it, was it 25000 or $50,000 for a housing grant? 
So for anybody who knows something about buying a house, in Evanston, the houses are um, averaging, I think, like 350 to 400,000. So if you understand that, you understand $25,000 is not enough money to put down on a house. So even if you win the reparations lottery, and it's a lottery because it's for 16 people, 16, imagine this, they're calling this a reparations plan, but only 16 people can actually get this. And then from, I saw an article um, the other day and they're having, they're having to do like a lottery kind of thing. Some of the people who were eligible, who would have been eligible have passed away in the past year while they're trying to figure this out. It's just a big mess. Like reparations has to be done on a federal level. It's the only way that you can make sure that you, that you actually reach the people that you need to reach. Cause like I said, reparations on the cheap side is a minimum of 17 trillion. If you look at Thomas Kramer's numbers, the for now Darity's numbers are for the 40 acres and a mule. That's the 17 trillion for that. Thomas Kramer has seven for actual labor, it's 17 trillion at a 3% interest rate. If you go up to the 6% interest rate, it's 6.4 quadrillion. No state or local budget has that kind of money in their coffers, period. This has to come from the feds. So the same way they fund wars and they fund all this other stuff, they're going to have to fund reparations. I love you. I mean, that's amazing. That's well stated. And and it, it matters to me because we had a recent uh, webinar where we had the father of modern monetary theory, uh-huh. Warren Mosler, come and talk to the Green Party. And a woman came out and said that she didn't want to hear any of what we just said from Warren in general, because she said that the way the government issues currency violates her understanding of critical race theory. And I sat back and I thought to myself, I don't, I mean, I don't understand a lot of things. That's why I bring people on that do. What would that mean? What, what, why would that be? What, what would that even mean? I don't, so I don't know. So this is the thing. I need to read the book. My friend Scorpio has, has read the book. He has explained to me that you need to read the book before you even start talking about critical race theory. But from what sure. has kind of been explained to me, it's really about how certain laws affect people in race and stuff like that. So it shouldn't come together. I guess you could be like, historically, the government has always screwed over black people. So what are you gonna yeah. do to make sure that when we do MMT, that black people get their cut too? I think that would have been a better question. Like, cause for me, yeah. that's always the question. Like, how do you make sure that we don't get cut out like we normally do? Like the new like, deal. Remember, the new, exactly, the new deal we got cut out. And a lot of people are like, yeah, but they cut out white farmers too. And I was like, listen, my best white lady friend, her uncle <laughs> quit being a farmer because they weren't paying and got a new other, what is those, the WPA jobs? He went and got one of those jobs and was able to benefit from the New Deal programs. So <laughs> that's what people need to understand. Like, no, like we just want to make sure we get included in it as well. But I think sometimes maybe it's just hard articulating what you mean because sometimes it's just hard to just say. I feel like people feel like saying things simple and saying things plain is like being dumb or being not intelligent but sometimes you just got to speak speak very simple to me like what is the question the question is how are you going to make sure black people don't get cut out of whatever you're trying to do that's interesting because you know obviously you see so many shootings across america so many Mm -hmm. police killings of unarmed black and brown people we've seen basically down in the south we've seen ahmaud aubrey We've seen mm-hmm. so, I mean, 
the list of people is ridiculous. It's stupid. It just I, it defies any kind of logic. And so when a guy like myself, you know, white guy, right, sees that, I say to myself, how do we reform our institutions to really show? Because you know, to me, if you're if you've done harm to me, reparations to me is that you you re- repent. I, I guess I consider it a bit of repentance. And yeah, that's part of it, but that's after. Yeah, that's after. Absolutely, but, yes. but you made that Atonement, quite clear yeah. in the beginning. That mm-hmm. should be, in my opinion, that becomes one of those things where the all lives matter crowd could easily lop on and realize, hey, wait a minute, hold on, this is just common sense, right? I mean, there's you have to provide people restitution for the debt that is owed them mm-hmm. and then simultaneously realize that protection and safety and and innocent before the law before you know a trial or anything like that mm-hmm. should be universal and that's the thing not be if you give black people more protections it's just going to give americans more protections that's right like it's, it's i 100%. saw um I forgot who, I think it was the, uh, was it the humanist report? He had put up a thing about this white lady, the police like bo- like ran a tank or something through her house in like a raid and it was the wrong house. And then they didn't, they were like, oh, we're not gonna do anything about it. I'm like, they've been doing that to black people for decades, welcome. It's like the reason they can do it to you is because they did it to us. If you protect us, you protect yourselves. Yeah, no, that's that's exactly right. So let me ask you a question. Obviously, we have seen years and years and years the term reparations come up, and we've seen candidate after candidate after candidate not be willing to address it. I mean, Bernie Sanders came close, but no cigar. You had Marianne Williamson, who had no prayer of getting elected, but she actually stepped out and said something. And you had some strange folks that you know damn well had no (laughs) chance whatsoever of getting elected, so they said things, right? It's easy Mm -hmm. to say things when you ain't got nothing to risk. But what, what do you think it would take to get political figures to boldly adopt a reparations now platform um, white people. to make this wrong righted? White that, people. Yeah. I think white people. Because a lot of, I've talked to some of these politicians and they feel like y'all aren't gonna go for it. They feel like most Americans are too racist to go for black Americans getting paid reparations. So they just rather not deal with it. Like for real, I white people. If white, if 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 these congressmen and senators had white people coming up to them, being like, "What's going on with reparations for Black Americans?" After a while, they'd be like, "Oh wow, there's actually like a constituency for this outside of Black people." Okay, okay. So we need your help. Like I think part of it is that because Karen Bass is like, "This is going to come through the people. It's not coming through the Congress." At least that's what she said in like 2020. But you know, th- we we interviewed a lady. Um, she's a good friend of the program named Lua Yule Kamal. She's a professor, um, and she is just a dynamite spokesperson. She looked at me in our interview. It was an audio interview, but in the physical recording of it, mm-hmm. she said to me, "Ain't nothing changing until white people are willing to lose something. Until white yeah. people are willing to say." I, I, I'm not, I'm not given here. I, this is, this has got to happen. And what would your message to white people be? I mean, for real, like, I, you know, I, I consider myself to be trying, but what would your, well, what would your message be? So I'm lucky enough to be surrounded by good white people. <laughs> so, so they give, so they give me some hope. 
But to be perfectly honest, like at this point, like everybody just has, so everybody talks about how we need solidarity, right? We need to come together, but I don't think y'all really know what that means. Like we are in like dire straits at this moment. And um, like, like everybody, like if you just think about what this was going on with COVID, what's just going on with the economy, like every, we need so much and we're not coming together and fighting for it. Yeah, I, I'm sorry, I'm reading the thing where he says would take mutual aid. I believe everybody should start doing mutual aid. I think it's the only thing that's gonna save us and make us come together as communities. Like, to be honest, at this point, I don't know what to do outside of that. Cause we, we, you know, we vote, they don't do what we say. We try to organize, they're not listening. So at this point, I think we have to start organizing our communities through mutual aid, just so we can at least have some way of protecting the weakest among us. And hopefully if, hopefully, you know, us not falling into being the people who end up being the weakest among us. But yeah, sorry. I don't know if I kind of went off on that one, but I worry about nice. that. Like we need each other at this point more than I think we have in a very long time. I, I agree. I mean, just looking at like something as simple as this Omicron variant, whether or not you care about this virus or not, it impacts communities differently. It, mm -hmm. The access to medical treatment is impacted differently. The hospital system is not geared. We have never made actual care for our whole country matter. And, mm -hmm. and it's always impacting different groups more harshly than others. And you see globally that we have been a very, very failed citizen of the globe in terms of being able to make sure that others in more vulnerable communities are even taken care of. So why in the world will we expect to do better for our own here in our own country? We, we literally deny them, uh, our own citizens, access to the most basic things. I mean, it's like five-hour wait for uh, a test, much less anything else. And you know that impacts the, the mm -hmm. minority communities in this country far more severely than it does anywhere else. How do you address the structural damages? Is there a parallel path to addressing these things? Or do you really think that we need to not even worry about that right now? We need to literally lock in on the reparations perspective. I feel like, okay, so for me as a black American, I have to lock in and focus on the reparations perspective because other folks aren't going to do that. Cause like, we just know what black issues, black issues kind of fall on the back burner for people who are not black Americans. So for me, it has to be 100% my issue, but you and I have had conversations, you know, Reparations is my first issue. And then, you know, after that, I'm an MMT, federal jobs guarantee kind of person. You know, I'm on those lanes, too, because we need to start trying to fix the country and fix all Americans as well. Because, like I said, I would like to live in a country that's good for everybody. Yes, 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 yes. And that's I think that that's an important point. And, and, and that's what I'm hoping anyway, by being a champion of the space here. You know, I, I look at this and I say to myself, without having equality, inequality creates so many problems that you can't even, it's almost impossible to quantify and, and qualify even all the problems that come from the inequality baked into the system. And if you've read Sandy Darity, and I know you have, but if you've read mm -hmm. Sandy Darity's book, From Here to Equality, you can see over the last two, 300 years, how every single chance the United States has had to get it right, there's a fork 
fork in the road. Do this and everything mm -hmm. will be better. Do this and it'll be absolutely the worst thing you could ever do. The United States goes, um, how about we do the worst thing we could possibly do? And Always. it happens over and over and over again. And I, the one thing I, here, I want to throw this at you because I think this plays into a lot of why things are even horrible today, right? Mm -hmm. They ended slavery on paper, but mm -hmm. they allowed you to become a slave of the state. And what they did was they added vagrancy laws and, and so forth to ensure that black people that had not been hired, that did not have jobs, could be picked up, arrested, and forced back into slavery instead of for Papa Joe at the plantation. Now mm -hmm. he's at Papa Joe's prison system on a plantation doing the same exact thing. I, mm -hmm. I mean, this has continued every step along the way. Every time you end one thing, they change the language ever so slightly, and then they go ahead and redo it again. Separate but mm -hmm. equal lies, on and on and on. Talk about some of the grievances aside from just the typical slavery minded uh concerns because i think people always say you hear it frequently well that happened a long time ago and obviously yeah. that's bullshit. but that's what people say but people don't understand like slavery ended but after slavery we went through a very large period called the nader period of white racial terrorism so like a lot of you guys are new to learning about tulsa some of you guys learned about rosewood in another film but there's wilmington there's all these other places, Forsyth County, they expelled their whole entire black population. It went from over a thousand blacks down to like three in a town. Those people's land is still there. People, they just lost their land. They couldn't go home and sell it. Somebody would have killed them. So when people say this was a long time ago, like my grandmother was born in 1937. Like some of these land thefts have happened in my grandmother's lifetime. Like my family's from Arkansas, like one of my family members was killed over some stupid stuff that had to do with a little land stuff and weird politics going on in the city. Like every black person has a, especially every black person has a story when you start getting into stuff like this. So these are things that have been stolen that would still be in our family. So imagine that your great, imagine that your grandmother or your great grandmother own like 50 acres of land that's worth a whole bunch of money now but somebody stole that from her and you don't get to have any of that land you can't you can't send your you know you can't take any loans off that land you can't develop that land you can't sell that land it's just gone and the people whose family it went into their children are my age their grandparents a lot of them are still alive and another thing is people keep saying this was a long time ago these lynching photos go in the 30s 40s and 50s the 50s, a lot of these people are still alive. They are not dead. These are our grandparents and our great-grandparents. So that's another thing that I bring up. You talk about how long ago this was. It wasn't that long ago. And then we that's have right. mass incarceration. The 1980s, the American government allowed the Contra to pump drugs into Black communities. This is not conspiracy. You can read, um, what is it called? Because the movie was Kill the Messenger, and the book by Gary Webb is called God, where am I forgetting? I'm forgetting the name of the book. Oh, no, 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 no. Sorry, look up the book by Gary Webb. You know what I'm talking about, but he literally went through the whole thing. He he interviewed the Contras. Like, we literally know this happened. You can watch the actual um, video where Maxine Waters is going through everything that happened. They had a whole trial about it. Like, so they literally put poison into our communities and then they locked us up 
for it. And you look at the difference in the response with the opioid community, right? Even the doctors that were feeding all these extra drugs and poison these people, they're not doing life sentences. I'm not talking about the opioid addicts because they got a raw deal, but the doctors are no different than the drug dealers on the street, right? So why did they not get some real sentences? But now you see them doing shows and writing books and, you know, making you very sympathetic for opioid addicts. But crack addicts should have had that same kind of sympathy because we were, thank you, Dark Alliance. Gary Webb's book is Dark Alliance. Yes, cr crack addicts went through the same kind of thing, but they didn't get, they didn't get sympathy. They got jail. Yeah, I, I look at this and I come from a, a history of drugs and alcohol years ago. And my, one of my most famous stories that I tell is that I got arrested was in a holding tank with a bunch of young brothers and they literally had one joint. Mm. I had a little bit more than that. Okay? <laughs> I was released. I was released that night on my mm. own recognizance Wow. Because I was not considered a flight risk. I was considered an upstanding member of society. Now, I did have a good job and all that and family, but that's not the point, right? These kids had to stay in there for two full weeks mm. to wait for their, their hearing. And I thought mm. to myself, my God, if they had a job, they're gone. They're done. They lost their job right there too on top of everything, right? And, you know, not that it was easy for me, but it was clearly not easy for them. Yeah. And and this is a consistent thing that goes on and has been going on. You think about what it takes when you have family that has money. To yeah. your point, you can't borrow if your history, if you have not been passed down, you don't have that kind of structure. And it's because the government and our laws have robbed that from mm -hmm. black and brown people in this country, in particular Addos. We have literally lost any kind of of ability to survive the ebbs and flows of life mm -hmm. and and when you're that up close you make decisions decisions that are based on survival not based on what was that technical you know uh, section 1.8.9 of the mm -hmm. penal code says you're sitting there saying how the hell am i going to eat how the exactly. hell am i going to get a roof over my head and i think it's a bunch of bullshit that we don't talk about it like this i mean I, my tagline on twitter as you know is austerity is murder Mm -hmm. And and it has got to play into making the case for the damages that are due black and brown people, and particularly the Addos community, for what has happened over the course of time. Can you talk a little bit about that? Well, I just read an article the other day where they were talking about how um, black male unemployment is not going down while at this moment white unemployment has curved. So we're in the middle of a pandemic, right? Everybody's talking about how they're hiring. They're saying that nobody wants to work, but they're literally showing that like black people are applying for jobs, especially black men are applying for jobs and they're still not getting, you know, they're still not getting work. So it's just one of those things where it's like, okay, you say that we shouldn't get stuff, we shouldn't get free stuff, but what we're, what we're asking for in reparations is not free stuff, it's a debt that's owed. We built the wealth of this country. We built the monuments, we built the White House, we built, you know, um, cotton was the biggest thing smoking on the continent. After that, we fought your wars. We have done everything. We have done everything. And you have literally stolen from us. We've tried to be like, okay, fine. We're going to go do it on our own. We would go build some stuff. You would get jealous. You would come in. You would burn it down. You would steal it. And then you would call us lazy. 
Like, how many times do you expect people to rebuild? No, for real. How many times do you expect people to rebuild before? For, like, I literally was watching a documentary about this black man who at some point, he, he was one of those people who was a black farmer, but he couldn't get all the loans and stuff. So he switched to like a catfish farm. So he was like, when he started getting successful, he bought a Cadillac, but he kept his Cadillac in the shed in the shed because he didn't want people to think he was getting too uppity or too excited. So he literally <laughs> bought a car for himself to put to the side because he didn't want nobody. Like, think about that. Think about becoming successful and not wanting people to know you're successful because somebody might come to try to get you. Like, people don't understand, like, this was the life of people in this country. And this was into, like, the 70s and 80s. Like, people don't get it. It's crazy. The smile on my face is one of disbelief because it's like Schrodinger's immigrant and Schrodinger's black person. You know, they're too lazy to do anything, but we don't want to hire them for that. It's ridiculous. It is preposterous. And that case study is just disgusting. The idea that you've got to hide because you know people will come after you like that is is just a repulsive thing. There are so many things that I think about as a person who has seen struggle. And I think to myself, my God, I had different circumstances than what you're talking about. And it was still, and it is still a, an insane challenge to, to mm-hmm. live life on life's terms. I cannot imagine when everywhere you look, there's something there trying to put a boot on your neck to keep you in place, to keep you down. What, what efforts can we do to kind of change that paradigm? I mean, you see a lot of folks trying, they, they don't know what to say. They think they're being an ally. They're not always being an ally there. What, what are some of the I, things that we so can do differently? I think some of the first things that you know, white people can do and people of color too is start by getting educated, right? So you want to learn about reparations, you know, start by reading Dr. Darity's book, From Here to Equality. Like that's a good place. And then from there, start talking to your folks first. Because a lot of times y'all want to come and talk to us, but it takes some time. You have to learn. You have to learn how to come over here. Because sometimes you end up being a lot of work for black people when you really could go and like do some of the emotional labor with your own friends and family members, like you guys could be priming it. Because at this point, I just think, I really just think you, people have to start having conversations and letting them know that the conditions that black people are talking about are real and it's not laziness and it's not whining. And it's not, um, it's not, it's just, it's not, it's not just a complaining, like there are a lot black people in this country are going through a lot of things. And, Yes, you may know a couple black people who are doing well, but you always have to have a few people do well. If there was no Oprah's or Jay-Z's or basketball players or football players, the country would be on fire because you'd have nobody to point to to say that black people are doing okay. Like they mask it for us. We're like, well, somebody made it. We're just right. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. It's like, well, somebody made it. So it's just me. I got to work harder. So you have to have a few to fill like everything, right? That's why they created like that middle class, right? When they did give you the white middle class, it was like, okay, we're going to give you this middle class so you could shoot to go up, but we couldn't leave you poor to rich because you knew you were never going to get there. Well, let, let me, let me tell folks what I've done personally to try to educate myself in this space. First thing I did was read Michelle Alexander's book, the new Jim Crow. That's a good book. Second book I read was Sandy Darity's book, uh, the From Here to Equality. The next thing that I read was Margaret Kimberly's book, Prejudential. 
The next book I read after that was Malcolm X's biography with fresh eyes. So I read all these books in a row, coupled with Howard Zinn's history of the United States. And I put all that together and I, I feel like I am on my way to being a valuable ally. I hope I am. I'm trying to be. And the more I do for myself to take that burden off you to have to teach me, the more we can walk shoulder to shoulder and I can really push this for myself because I want this badly. I think it's much needed. Whether I like it, whether anyone likes it is not even the point. I mean, I do like it. I want it. But whether I like it or is irrelevant, it's a debt that is due, people. Mm -hmm. It is a debt that is due. And we've seen the catastrophic results of leaving this much baked in inequality in our country. And it has done nothing to enhance our lives. It's only hurt all of us. Mm-hmm. That's so what is true. your takeaway? This is, this is the goodbye message. Send us off into the ether. The here. goodbye what message. What is your message? My message is come to Reset Race, the Reset Race channel. We do do a lot of watch parties. So I do post a lot of videos that give a lot of history. Also some white uh, whiteness studies. I do, we do a nice little mix. So you'll learn some black history. You'll learn some, some whiteness studies. You'll learn a little bit of everything. And you'll also learn some good people to go and check out and read their books. Plus we have the Reset Race show where we actually do try to talk about these issues. And uh, that's where I'm at. Like, come over there, get some education, try to learn something. And, you know, like I said, I'm in this with you. I just won't, I just won't sacrifice myself and my family. Like, we either are going to work together so we can all have a better life, or you guys are going to drop down here to the bottom with the black boat. (laughs) And with that, thank you so much, Sam. This was a pleasure for me. These short little lunchtime messages allow us to get right to the point. And I look forward to being back on y'all show. I really enjoy you guys a lot. So I've learned a lot. And I want to tell everybody, please do check out Reset Race. Uh, Good people over there. And with that, I'm out of here, folks. The Rogue Scholar is a production of Real Progressives. If you would like to support our work, please visit patreon.com slash real progressives.